Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1. For those of you who don't know, we've started a new series going through the spiritual disciplines, which we said are meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. So I'd like to ask you this morning, as we jump into this first section of the spiritual disciplines, this question. When I say the word meditation, what comes to your mind? Kind of get a mental image. You probably picture like an Eastern-looking person, don't you? Sitting on the floor, legs crossed in the the lotus position, you know, with the, the fingers out like that. That kind of mental image. And why is that? Why do you think that? When I say meditation, why do you think that? Well, it's because you are influenced, probably even more than you know, by the environment that you live in. It's our culture that gives us these images. New Age spirituality is the air we breathe. It's just out there all the time. And if you search the word meditation in Google Images, you're going to find exactly what you probably just thought of. You're going to see lots of really pretty, colorful, psychedelic, maybe even, colors. Um, and, and you're going to see hundreds of, not images, but hundreds of pages of images of this same image. You just type word, that word meditation, and that's pretty much all you'll see. You don't see any kind of like what it actually is. You just see that one position. And I think that's what we kind of got have gotten stuck on when we think of meditation. Now, if you take that same word, meditation, and grab just a, a Bible software, even just a Bible app, and just type in the word meditation and search that, you're going to see that Scripture actually overwhelmingly affirms meditation. It's all through Scripture. You, you can see, and I'll, I'll just name a few. I have a whole long list here. I won't go through all of them, but there's many. Just, just realize that right out of the gate, Genesis 24, 63, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward the evening. So we have people meditating right off the bat. Joshua 1a, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So it's told that you shall do this. Psalm 63.6, I remember you upon my bed and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Psalm 77, I remember God, I moan when I meditate, my spirit faints. Psalm 77 again, I said, let me remember my song in the light. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Again, Psalm 77, and meditate on your mighty deeds. I will meditate on your your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Your servant will meditate on your statutes. I will meditate on your wondrous works. And I will meditate on your statutes. I will meditate on your precepts. And I will meditate on your promise. I meditate on all that you've done. I ponder the work of your hands over and over and over. That's not the end of the list. The scriptures go on and on and on about meditation. So we should probably talk about this word meditation. What does it mean, especially in the context of the spiritual disciplines? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. What is meditation? What does it mean to meditate? How do you do it? We're going to look at this topic from a text of Scripture. Scripture is actually going to inform us a little bit on how we do this. We're going to look at Psalm 1. The beginning of the Psalms begin to give us a picture of what meditation might look like. So if you would turn in your Bibles, again, the text is Psalm 1. We're going to read the entirety of the Psalm. It's only six verses. So it is Psalm 1, 1 through 6. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to them this morning. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. 
In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord for his people. Let's pray. Father, as we approach this famous psalm, we pray that you would speak to us anew through it. Lord, let us not get stuck up on these so familiar words and miss something that you might be saying to us this morning. So, Lord, we pray that from your inspired word that you would inspire us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that our hearts would be open, that our eyes would be ready to see what you are showing us this morning. Give us ears to hear that we may hear what you are saying to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So as I said, the psalmist kind of sets up the whole trajectory of the psalm with this famous passage. And he talks about meditation in it. So meditation is really how the psalmist launches out into his 150 psalms. This is the first one he wanted to say out of 150 Psalms, he starts talking about meditation right out of the gate. So what we need to realize is we look at this passage, the, the psalmist is trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us that we are internally shaped by our external forces. What is out there actually changes who we are. So the psalmist in this passage is comparing two ways of life. I think we've talked about this before. He's giving a simple way of life and death. The blessed man and the non-blessed man, or the, the sinner, whatever word you want to put there. He's giving two ways of life. And there's two ways that we can be shaped into those life, or into that life. We have the conformity on the one hand to culture, and the conformity on the other hand to the law of God. So we see the conformity to culture in verse 1 is the counsel of the wicked. That's how you get shaped uh, by culture. You stand around with sinners. You're in that culture. You're sitting in the seat of scoffers. You're hanging around with that way of living. Then you have conformity of God. How do you get that? Well, you meditate on what? Verse 2, on the law of the Lord. Very simply, just the law of the Lord. What are the two outcomes of this way of living? Well, on the one hand, the outcome to the conformity culture we see in verse 4 is like chaff. Right? You know what chaff is, that the wind drives away. You've, you've heard about like the reaping process and getting the seed and separating it from the chaff. So what it's saying there is that the world offers something that is really just light. It just blows away with the wind. It reminds me of that scripture being blown about, away by every wind of doctrine. So it's light. It's shallow. It's unsubstantial. What the world is offering isn't that much. It won't last. So verse 5, it says it will not stand in the day of judgment. Again, it's not going to be able to stand up when God looks at it and he, and, he just, or, and he judges it. He says that isn't good. It will not stand. And it even says that it doesn't stand in the congregation or we might say church of the righteous. So as the church looks at the culture, they can even say what you're doing is not going to work out. It's not going to last. It's going to get blown away eventually. It is like chaff being blown in the wind. It's driven away. So that's the outcome of the culture that we all live in. Now, what's the outcome of the culture of God or the conformity to God, we might say? In verse 1, it says this is the blessed man. Very simple, but true. It's blessed. We will be blessed when we're conformed to what God is. Verse 3 will be like a tree. What is a tree? A tree is sturdy. We are the tree in this text here. It is secure. 
It's substantial. It's not going anywhere. Trees, it takes a lot to push a tree over. You can't just go and push a tree over. But wind can blow away the chaff. So it's showing that we are sturdy, we are secure, we are substantial when we're fixing our minds on the law of God. It says that we're planted by streams of water. In other words, we are a deep people. Right? We, we have this idea of kind of the roots sinking down, abiding in this substance, abiding in the water, which we'll see in a, mo- in a minute is a way of talking about the word of God. And it says it yields fruit in its season. When we do have these deep roots that are sinking down, we are a productive people. We're people that last. We're leaving a legacy. That things that we're building, they're meaningful and they're not going anywhere because God is standing behind them. It, its leaf does not wither, it says. We are evergreen. When, when harsh weather comes, we are still standing green. We're hardy. We are lively. We are a lively people that stand up against all the forces of nature that come out there. If you want to think about looking outside, all the, all the trees have died away and their leaves wither. Their leaves are gone. But you look at the pine trees. They are evergreen. It doesn't matter what season they are in. They are always green. They're always lively. And their wee, leaf does not wither. We are supposed to be like that. And when we are, it says that in all we do, all that he does, he prospers. We're successful people. So the psalmist narrows down your existence to living in either of two ways, or one of two ways. You can live the way of the world or the way of God. It's very simple. It's life or death. God makes it very easy for us. There's not this middle ground where it's kind of one side on the or one foot <clears throat> on this side of the fence, one foot on the other side. It's either or. And the other is our one way comes through passivity and default enculturation. Let me say that again. One way comes through passivity and default enculturation. The other is actively removing oneself from enculturation and building an alternative culture. Do you get what I'm saying? One way it just kind of happens. The way of the world, you can just go out there and you're by default probably going to just conform to the culture. You're going to start to be like them. You're going to smell like the people around you're around. When you're in the way of sinners, you're going to start acting like the sinners. But there's another way, this way of actively removing oneself from this culture and building an alternative culture. That's the church. That's what we're after. We're trying to be the evergreen tree in a dying world where everyone's leaves are withering. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. The question is how do we do this? How do we actively go against a a culture that is dying? Well, the only active, positive thing that the psalmist says he does in this passage is what? There's only one thing that he actively says he does. Meditate. Isn't that interesting? There's lots of things that he could have said. He could have said all number of things, any of the spiritual disciplines, but he says he meditates. The, the negative, he says, I don't stand here. I don't sit here. I don't walk around there. I don't do all this. But the one positive thing that he says is he says, I meditate. I meditate on the Lord and on his law. Notice he doesn't say prayer. Think about that. He could have said prayer. And prayer is a good thing. And the scriptures overwhelmingly affirm prayer as well. But he doesn't say that he prays. Why? Because you can move from enculturation to prayer and simply pray enculturated prayers. Do you think about that? Think about that. So think about different denominations. Have you noticed that different denominations pray differently? It's because they're moving from an enculturation, albeit it's a Christian culture, but they're moving from a culture uh, to prayer. And they start to pray like the people that they're around. But there's a different way of doing that. So you can kind of step out of that by meditating. Because meditation's different. Meditation is learning the art of stop. The Jews would say Shabbat. 
It means to cease, to kind of just slow down. It's an unhurried silence. It's learning the sacred art of shut up. It's what our culture has no idea how to do. They don't know how to just be quiet for even a minute and be at rest and let something happen, namely God to speak. We're always trying to get our word in. In prayer, we're often loud, we're determined, and we're impatient, and we do all the talking. That's prayer. In meditation, we're quiet, we're receptive, we're patient, and God does all the talking. There's a difference. The prayer and meditation are two different things. They're both needed in the Christian life, but we have to realize there's a difference here. And maybe it is, village. Maybe it is that our relationship with God has been hindered because we haven't been slowing down and stopped talking long enough to allow God to get a word in. Where we're constantly just throwing up prayers, just hoping he'll say something back, but we never even stop long enough for him to respond to our prayers. We don't sit and meditate on the precepts of the Lord and what he has done. So the psalmist's analogy stirs us to realize that we need deep roots. We need to sink down deep into the source of life, which is the water in this analogy. And our experience with God should not be surface relationship where we kind of, like I said, pop off pithy prayers all the time and then move on as if we've done our duty. Right? Our, our friend's sick, so we throw up a prayer and we keep throwing up the prayer and we never just sit. We never wait for God to do anything. No, it should be a deep and abiding relationship. That means it's going to take time. It's going to take intention. It's going to take slowing down. It's much easier to dig a shallow hole than a deep hole, isn't it? But if we're going to actually get down to the water for digging a well, we're going to have to keep digging. And it's going to take time. But the man that stops before he hits water, if he keeps digging down only six foot and he doesn't get water, what he's really just digging is his own grave. Right? If you if you don't go and put in the time it takes to actually hit what you're going for, it's pointless. There's no point in meditation if you sit for 10 seconds and say, well, I didn't get it. Or you just, yeah, I don't feel anything. That, 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 does, that does nothing, and it's, it's pointless. You don't go anywhere. The point is to actually make contact with God, where God is speaking and you are connecting with him. So the fundamental purpose of meditation is to tap into the spring of water, as it says in verse 3. It's to receive the revelation of the word of God. And we're going to break that revelation down into three different ways. There's three ways that God communicates his word to us, and it's in these three ways. There's scripture, there's creation, and there's Jesus. Those, those are kind of the, the three categories. And, and creation, that's general revelation in theology, they call that. And scripture, that's special revelation, where God specially shows himself and reveals himself. And in Jesus, Jesus is a unique category in and of himself. Now, if you want to think of it this way, following that water analogy, remember we're the tree and we're tapping into this water source. You could think of it like this. Water can be absorbed in three different ways, can't it? If you have water, you can have it in three forms. You can have it in vapor, solid, or liquid. Now, I don't want to go too crazy with this analogy, but you could think of water vapor being like the air we breathe. You walk outside right now and you take a deep breath in and you breathe out and you can see the water vapor in the air. It freezes and it's, it's there and you can see it. And that's kind of like creation. You inhale creation every day. It's all around you. You can see it out the windows now. God's creation is speaking to us all the time. It's in the air we breathe and it's never stopping there until you stop and look at it. You're not actually soaking it in. So creation is kind of like water vapor. Then you have solid water, which is ice. Right? Obviously, everyone knows that. But you can choke on ice, can't you? 
That's not the way that you usually consume water. That's not the way a tree consumes water. All that snow on top of that tree does no good for it until it melts. Right? You can choke on ice. And so you can do that with Scripture too. You can choke on a Scripture where if you just read it and don't take time to let it kind of melt in your mouth, so to say, you'll choke on it. If you go outside and take a snowball and take a big snowball and throw it at someone and say, there's a drink of water, and hit them in the face, that doesn't do much good. But we can do the same thing with scriptures, can't we? Where we can just grab a scripture and think, well, this will help, and you just throw it at someone, not taking the time that it takes to really pray over something, to meditate, think, is that even the right time to say that kind of thing? Or to sit with them and let them soak it in and receive the actual word of God. So there's a way of looking at scripture and still missing the main point and not being able to consume it until we let it melt in our, or melt in our mouth. So we need to do that same kind of thing with our meditation. You take the scriptures in and you let it melt. And lastly, we consume water very simply by drinking it. You turn on the tap and you drink the water. It's the the pure form of water that keeps you alive. That's how you consume water every day. And so it is with Christ. That's the way that you stay alive. It's not the scriptures that keep you alive. It's Christ. And you have to see Christ in the word, Christ in creation to keep you alive. It's he that is giving you that eternal life. He is the spring of water welling up to everlasting life. And if you miss him, it's just like getting hit in the face with a snowball. It does no good. You can't drink it up. So we have those three ways that we can consume the word of God. Now we have, first of all, the word of God as creation. We'll kind of flesh each of these out a little bit. You have in Genesis, we're introduced to, uh, or we're introduced, uh, to God as speaker and creator. And he speaks in his creation, and it is, very simply. So, so there's this idea of God saying something, and it just exists. So the created order is the general revelation of God where he speaks and he says something to us. It's something for us to listen to. Here, Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. God speaks to us in creation. You, you know this from Romans 1. Romans 1 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So they're pushing it down. They're saying no. For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's plain because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So what do we do? We take this principle and we can see that God speaks to us through creation. And if you refuse to meditate on it, what you're essentially doing is suppressing the truth. Think about that. If you're not connecting it back to Jesus and what he's saying, what God is saying in the truth of it, you're just kind of pushing it out. You're, you're going on through life and just saying, no, I'm going to continue on my way. Now, Jesus uses this same kind of meditation. He talks about thinking about uh, God through creation by saying, consider the lilies, doesn't he? So there's something that God is trying to say even through the things around us. He says, look at the sparrows. How God cares for them. He takes care of even the birds. So how much more is he taking care of you? He clothes the lilies. He clothes you. He feeds the birds. He feeds us. So how can you cultivate this spiritual discipline in your own life? 
Think of ways where you could kind of take this home, apply this principle of meditating on God through creation. Perhaps it's just simply turning off the distractions when you're hopping in the car. Each of you are going to drive home today, and we have this tendency to just flip on all the distractions that we can find. We turn on the podcast, we pull out our phone, we do this, we put in earbuds, we, we do all these things when God is screaming at us a beautiful creation all around us. And he's saying something to us, so are we listening? Now, now the hunters in this room, if you've been hunting before, you understand this, don't you? As you kind of go into a woods early in the morning, it's, it's pitch dark, there's no light out. And you go and you walk through the woods and you're cracking on the twigs and it sounds like a huge echoing sound just crack when you step on a a stick and then you crawl up in your tree stand and everything's silent and it's quiet. And then as the sun comes up, it's like the world just comes alive, isn't it? So, so the birds start chirping. They start singing their songs. They're singing glory to God. The, the deer start to come out, and you see them grazing in the field. God's feeding them. God is doing all this stuff, and you can stop and just realize, wow, we have an amazing God. Every morning this happens. Every morning God raises that sun up and brings the world to life. And we can draw from that and see how God does that same kind of thing in our own lives. We're just not taking the time to think about it, are we? He feeds us every day. We should be singing his glory every day in our song, just like the birds do. And just as the sun comes up, the sun, Jesus, the true light of the world, comes up and gives us life every day. He warms our souls. He keeps us alive. And yet we still go on our days just with our phones and our faces stuck, glued to a TV, or whatever it is that we can numb ourselves with. Why do we do that? There's, there's a better way of living. We can, we can actually resist the urge to suppress the truth by popping in earbuds or whatever it might be. We can live to a deeper way of living, not being satisfied with those dim shadows because that's what they are. It's artificial light. It's not real light. It's not real things that you're seeing in the world when we're numbing ourselves with this culture. We should be satisfied with what God is saying to us through creation. So try to find ways you can meditate on the work of God and his, what his hands have done through that experience, through creation. God speaks generally through um, his revelation, what he's done in his created order. Now, the word of God as scripture, so special revelation, says the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So this word given to the people of God is the special word. Where God says, you are my people, and I'm going to tell you specifically or specially what to do. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is breathed out by God. These words that God gave to us, to his people, is God's spoken word to us. It's him breathing out what he wants us to do, what his will is, what his desire is. So meditation on scripture is different than just reading your Bible, though. Right? We think that if we're just reading our Bible that we're meditating, but that's not actually the case. This is making a conscious effort to be shaped by the Word of God. Just like you can walk out in creation and not actually connect and receive anything, you can jump in your Bible and just start reading, reading, reading through chapters a day and not actually make the, the connection. That's the, the getting hit in the head with a snowball kind of thing. You have to be able to let it melt in your mouth. You have to let it kind of boil down to actually meeting Christ in the Word. Now, this might look like taking one verse that stood out to you in a whole plethora of verses and saying, that one really spoke to me. I can think of my, my dad recently. He keeps coming back to the scripture in Hebrews that all or the, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing the soul of, or between bone and marrow. That, that scripture there about discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He keeps talking about it over and over again, and that makes me happy. 
He's not hung up on this one verse that he's just narrowing all Christianity down to one verse. No, he's, he's contemplating. He's meditating on that one verse, and it's carrying him through weeks. God's continuing to show himself for weeks through that one simple verse. That's how we should be connecting with God. When we open up our Bibles, there should be those key verses where we look and we say, Wow, that's what you're saying, God? That's what you meant there? And that just continues to blow our mind day after day after day. That's happened to me. I hope that you have that same experience. When you're reading your Bible, pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal himself to you, that you're actually connecting with what God is saying, and he will blow your mind, and it will last for weeks on end. You can have that deep, substantial relationship with God like that, through God speaking through his word. So as you read your Bibles this week, keep a close eye out for those those key verses that come as easy easy avenues to sink those roots down into. Because remember, we're the tree. We're trying to tap into the root to meditate on them and become like the tree that is planted by the waters. And what what are the results? We said, your leaf won't wither. You're going to be fruitful. When you hang on to those verses for weeks on end, you're actually going to be bearing good fruit. You're going to be making progress. You're going to be moving forward, and you're going to start building culture back. You're going to be building a Christian culture. That's called kingdom building. When we meditate on the word of God. Now, a word of caution before we move on to our last way of meditation in the word. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 5, this. He says, The Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice, so there we get it again, his voice you've heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. Now, no, he's talking to Pharisees here. This is like someone coming up to a pastor and saying, You've never heard the word of God. You don't know anything about God. It's extremely insulting if you think about it. So Jesus says this. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. Wow. These people who made their whole profession studying the word of God, immersing themselves in the word. Jesus says, you missed it all. You're not hitting the whole point, which is me, which is Christ In other words, there's a way of looking at these two words of God, creation and scripture, and still missing the whole point. Where God's screaming at you through scripture, he's screaming at you through creation, and we still miss that the Bible isn't, and that creation isn't about just giving you a formula and a way of living that just saved yourself. Because that's what it really boiled down to with the Pharisees. They thought that if they could just do these things right, then they, they would be able, to be, be able to be accepted by God. And we can do the same thing, can't we? Where we read the scriptures, especially the Proverbs, and we just think, well, if I just order my life this way and do this and I do that, then it's going to work out well for me. I'll be prosperous. So if I look at the world and I study like a scientist does, I can figure out and kind of manipulate the world and I can be more prosperous. But Jesus says that, no, if you're doing that, you're missing the whole point because it's all about me. That brings us to our last point, the word of God as Christ, this unique figure where God speaks to us. So while God does speak to us in different ways, like creation, like scripture, the primary way in which we hear from God is in meditation from Jesus Christ himself. That still small voice that you hear when you're reading scripture, you're looking out in the woods or wherever you're at, and you hear God speaking in the voice of Jesus Christ. Not an audible voice, but you feel that move, of that spirit of God moving you to know what he's saying to you in that moment. It's unique. You, you understand it. If, you, if you've experienced that before, you know without a shadow of a doubt that God is speaking to you right now. Now, the author of Hebrews, he opens his book, which is really a sermon, by saying this. He says, long ago, at many times and any places, God spoke 
to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So even the creation came through this Son. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by his by the word of his power. So by Jesus speaking, he keeps the whole universe going around. He is the word that is speaking through Scripture because he says Scripture is bearing witness to himself. The Hebrew says, so after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And this is literally a point of life or death. If you miss Christ, you miss it all. If you don't see Jesus in the word, if we think that we can be listening to God in meditation and, and, and only hear like this principle of living or this path or rules of living, we're missing it all. We have to see and uh, we have to see Christ in scripture as Savior, if we're going to truly meditate on God, looking to Christ as Savior, the one who Hebrew says, who made purification for sins and rules over all as king, is how we meditate on him. That's important because, like I said, you can start to meditate and you think, well, if I do this thing, then this will work out well. If I do this, then that. And we can start to just like logic chop in our contemplation and our meditation and miss the whole point that we are sinners. Right? That we're going to mess up. That we're, we can't actually rule like we would like to. We need saved. We need our sins purified. We need our Savior. So when we meditate, we have to come to Christ in the goodness of the gospel. The good news that we are sinners and we've been saved by grace. And it's through Jesus that we're able to move forward in our meditation. It's through Jesus that we're able to actually come before God and build culture. We don't build it ourselves. We build it through Christ. And that's absolutely absolutely essential. So there's a way of actually pridefully meditating. This is what is warned about in Job. Job says in Job 15.4, But you are doing away with the fear of God and hindering meditation before God. Isn't that interesting? You can hinder meditation with God by simply relating to him in the wrong way. You're not coming before him with humility. You're coming before him as a kind of peer saying, how can we work this out, God? How can, how can we do this? And what you should be saying is, I don't deserve to even be talking to you right now. But it's an amazing thing that you say in your word that you do listen to me, that I can bring my sins to you and you forgive me and you can help me move forward in life. So approaching God in humility centers us on Proper meditation. Now, consider once again the analogy, uh, the analogy of the tree. Jumping back to that. Is the water, which we said was a way of God's revelation, his word of God, is that a luxury or a necessity? It's a necessity. The tree cannot live without the water. It's not like God is there to just kind of help us get along the way. He is our life. He is the, what keeps us going. Like a tree needs water, we need the abiding connection between God and us. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 42, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. This isn't just the condition of the psalmist. This is the condition of all humankind. We all have a hole in our hearts that only God can fill. We are all thirsty beings. We are all in need of that close communion with God. And if we neglect the spiritual disciplines and especially meditation, our leaf begins to wither. 
Our fruits start to die out. We're not bearing any fruit. And if we honestly evaluate ourselves and step back and take a look at our Christianity, when we're neglecting all those spiritual disciplines, we're honestly going to have to say, we're not that prosperous. But there's a different way of living, like I said. You can actually dig your, dig your roots down deep and be really fruitful, really prosperous. There is a way of succeeding as a Christian. And our fruitfulness, what we can see, is directly correlated to the relationship of the water to God. It's a simple principle, but we often forget about it, don't we? That just our connection with God is what really matters when it comes down to it. But there's a problem. Some of us have become so parched that we're unable to dig the well. You ever feel like that? We talk all about the water, and we talk about all this, this is digging real hard and just going at it extremely hard. But we forget that there's actually people that are out there that say, I'm just too tired to even start digging. Like, uh, yes, I'm thirsty, but I'm just burnt out. I have nothing left. Have you felt like this before? Where someone's just preaching a message to you, and they're just like, well, just dig. Just go, 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 go. And you're like, I have nothing left. What do I go with? Right? This is the, the state of the Israelites in the wilderness. Remember, God brought them out of slavery and into the wilderness, and they said, we're thirsty. God, we're thirsty. Moses, what are you going to do? It was better back there. Yeah, we were in slavery, but at least we had water. At least we had a drink. And what did God do? God met them where they were. He tells Moses, go, Moses, go strike that rock. Do rocks make water? No, rocks don't make water. But they do when God says, rock, make water. So he told Moses, go strike the rock. And when he struck the rock, water flowed out from the rock. God met them in their dryness and their wilderness and their thirst. And God provided for them. And then years later, thousands of years later, Paul takes that principle. And he says, yes, God physically provided for them then. But we can see that spiritually we're in the same boat. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, that spiritual rock that flowed uh, the water, that was Christ. Isn't that interesting? That we can now look at that as an example in our life and see, actually, Jesus meets us where we are. So church, if that's you, you can't say this morning that you haven't been able to meet Christ. Christ has been met here for you. I've, I've taken God's word that's a, a special revelation, his special word to you. And I want you to see that Christ is that water. Christ is extended to you right here, right now. We don't have an excuse because the, the water is flowing out to you right now. God is speaking to you saying, I am here for you. Salvation is in Jesus alone. So we're able to take this thirst and quench it right now. But I don't want you to live Sunday to Sunday. I can't be your source. You, you have to live on that close abiding relationship with the Lord. So what I want you to do, I want you to take Jesus speaking to you right now. And I want you to take that home and I want you to start with that little bit of energy and uh, quenching of thirst that you have, that satisfaction, and start digging your own wells. You can actually cultivate this relationship through the spiritual disciplines of meditation, fasting, prayer, and actually start to do this on your own to where you don't have to go from Sunday to Sunday where you're feeling like, I just have to make it into Sundays because I just need a drop of water. I'm so thirsty. You can actually live fruitful lives to where when someone meets you on a, a Friday night, you're not so parched that you can't give them the gospel message, that you're not so thirsty that you have nothing left for them that you actually have fruit where you're able to say yeah god's been doing a lot in my life this week and here's this right? i want you to be that kind of fruitful and abiding christian to where we're so tapped down into the roots of jesus that we're able to offer something to the world to build that alternative culture let's pray